All right, let's open up to Philippians chapter 1, Acts chapter 6, and something else, but I'll get to it. <laughs> A lot of flipping back and forth today. Been laying some uh, foundational type stuff as we've been going through uh, the first verse of Philippians. <laughs> uh, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we, we ask that as we continue to speak about uh, these things, that you would open our hearts to what your Spirit would have to say to the church. We pray that we would walk out changed. We'd be different people. And that you would reign supremely in Christ Community Fellowship, which is uh, which is all of us put together. And so, Lord, be the head this morning. Amen. So, Paul is the author. It's amazing how you can buy commentaries that will tell you that, no, Paul couldn't be the author. When it says, Paul and Timothy, uh, servants of Jesus Christ. It's pretty funny. In the old world, you know how we, we have... Uh, we write our, our, our letters, and at the end we said, say, hey, you know, love Matt, or in Christ, Matt, you know, I'll write my name at the bottom. Well, that wasn't really convenient back then, because they had scrolls, and you'd be like, who is this from? You had to unroll it, and you'd run, finally get to the, oh, and then you had to roll it all the way back to the front. So they put right in the beginning who it was from. Hey, this is Paul, and they write who it's directly to. So Paul's the author, and Paul identifies himself, as we talked about last week, uh, as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Only in three other letters does he not identify himself as an apostle. And that would be, I think, to the, uh, let's see, here to the First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon. Uh, but here he's uh, writing kind of as a, as a friend. And the tone throughout the whole thing is just this brotherly, uh, it's kind of a letter of thanks and encouragement. It's not really apostolic. In other words, he's not dealing with a bunch of correction. He does correct one thing, which we'll get to later, but um, he's in relationship with these people. He loves them. And so he doesn't have to say, hey, he doesn't have to pull out rank. It's on a first-name basis. They know, God knows that he has authority. I mean, people know what God's done through him and in him. There's a love relationship going on. There's a response back and forth, and that's really how it should be, Amen with the people that God has put in our lives, children to the parents, right? Husbands and wives, and us to our king and the leaders of the church. So hopefully uh, we, we get the heart of things and we don't have to pull rank on one another. That's not what the Lord would intend. But uh, this letter, again, it's like a friendship. And Paul identifies he and Timothy as servants, bond servants. We talked about that last week. Uh, it's a different word. It's uh, doulos, which means that you are absolutely uh, given over to someone. You voluntarily became a slave to someone else. Now, I don't know anyone on earth who wants to become a slave of someone else. But as we talked about, uh, that there was a provision in the Old Testament that if you owed someone some money and you couldn't pay him back, you'd go work for him for a period of you know six or seven years. And on that seventh year, they were to free you. But after that time, if you were just loved your master so much, you found his character to be um, 
just he took care of you and he and he loved you and you loved him back and you, and you wanted to devote your rest of your life to that person, you could say, I want to become your bond servant. Will you accept me? And if they accepted you, they take you down to the gates of the city. They put you in front of where all the uh, leaders would be. They put your ear uh, against the wooden post and they smack it through with an awl, and that would be a sign to everybody that you were a bond servant of this person. You'd voluntarily given all of your rights up to this person. You are now theirs. And Paul and Timothy identify themselves as bond servants of Jesus Christ. A voluntary, a, a giving of their heart to the Lord. And, and I believe that's the heart that the Lord wants to work in our lives develop in us, that we'd be called bond servants of Jesus Christ. So when I could look at you and say, you know, hey, there's Gary and Susie, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, that's, that's what the heart of the Lord's looking for, that, that willingly giving ourselves to his lordship because he's so good, because he saved us from so much. Not a reluctant servant. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, the letter is written to the church at Philippi, and Paul identifies them as saints or holy people. We talked about this at length last week, how the word saint has lost its uh, true meaning because of the doctrine of the uh, Roman Catholic Church and kind of what they they, uh, they have, it's kind of like making super Christians where God never intended that. And uh, the word saint simply means holy or set apart. And so once we've surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, once he has made us clean, we are now holy. We are saints. Every single one of us are saints in Christ Jesus. There's no, uh, there's no levels of Christianity. There are no, uh, the priests are not above the people. The saints are not above the people. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he bowed before his disciples and, and washed, washed their feet. He says, you go do likewise. It's a servant argument. Amen? The greatest is the leadest, least in the kingdom of heaven. Let it be so. May God work that out because our culture, you know, that's counterintuitive. Our culture says, no, I must increase and you must decrease. And we fight against that as men and women all the time, don't we? Being servants of Christ, letting go of our of our rights, that Christ might be lifted up, that people might be blessed. And so together with the overseers and deacons, and last week, by uh, way of review, just briefly go over it, but the overseers were those in charge of the church at Philippi. These would be the elders or pastors. They'd be the uh, bishops is the word. And... Uh, Ten years earlier, Paul had established this church through much pain and suffering. And here it has grown ten years later, and it needs some structure. It needs some leadership so it can grow, so God can bless it. And God has done that. And so he's writing to, yes, the people, but also to the, uh, the elders and, you know, the pastors there. And then also the, uh, it, says, uh, it says, to the deacons. And so last week, uh, if you could open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and Titus chapter 1, so kind of, we're going to have, you have to use like four fingers today, keeping your spot. First Timothy chapter 3, we're just going to read through it. I went verse by verse last week and, and, and talked about each of these words, because at this time every year, uh, we do have, you know, elder nominations, and I think it's important to, to go back over what the scriptures say about this. This is important. 
So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, Here's a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And again, I, I mentioned last week, it's not the person that is noble that it's talking about. It's talking about the task that they desire is noble. It's excellent. And so it requires that excellent character. Does that make sense? It doesn't say the person isn't noble, but it's just talking about, hey, this is, this is you know, this is important in the kingdom. And its importance requires the character to be able to facilitate the office. And so he goes on and starts talking about what that is in verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. A lot there. I unpacked it last week. You can go ahead and, and check out that message online. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the, God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Keep your place in 1 Timothy 3 and turn right to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Paul speaking to Titus, who is, who is uh, establishing a church on, in Crete, little island there, talks to him. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to die. No, I'm just kidding. Was it? No. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. What was left unfinished? Paul wasn't able to get to this. And appoint elders in every town as I direct you. That word elders is overseers. Okay? As I directed you. An elder, and he goes and explains again, gives another little slant on what this should be. And it's the same heart behind it. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Boy, as I read this, I just go, oh my gosh. But nevertheless, it stands. It's the Word of God. We don't lower the Word of God to meet our standards. We, we aspire to it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And just for context here, Paul gives us reasons why they're able to know the Word and refute it. In verse 10, he says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those among the circumcision groups of the Jews. They must be silenced because they all disrupt whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So there were some things that Paul wanted to set up. Healthy leadership to correct some things within the church. To protect the gospel, that we should be doing the right things. Amen? And so, there are overseers and, and uh, who were who were and are men, uh, and are to be men who seek God in prayer and His Word and who shepherd the flock. You can read that in First Peter and other places. 
where it talks about that. But for the church to really be healthy, this is this is where we want to emphasize the emphasis today. And for things to get done, the overseers uh, were and and need to be assisted by deacons. And this de- uh, this word deacon, deacons were those taking care of the daily operations of the church, of the fellowship's needs. The word deacon simply means servant. It's not doulos like bond servant. It means uh, it's diakonos, which means I'm just I'm executing orders. That's what I do. I'm here to serve. What do you need done? I'm going to go do it. Pretty cool. I mean, you know, we need to have our children be a little diaconosic. You know what I mean? <laughs> Amen to that, right? Teaching them to be obedient in serving, right? And you see why God, why God put the emphasis on the family first in leadership, and then because we're executing, uh, you know, things that need to happen within the church and for the gospel to go forward. We'll get into this in a second. But uh, <clears throat> it's not the word uh, bond servant, but it's a different word, diakonos in the Greek. And this is one who executes the command of another. And Stephen and six others in Acts chapter 6 and 7 are examples of these. So keeping your place in First Timothy, uh, Timothy 1, flip over to Acts, or unless you want to practice Bible drills, you can close it. But go to Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> There was a problem with the distribution of bread to the widows who were Hellenistic Jews. That was Jews who took on a, a, a Greek culture. They spoke Greek. They kind of they acted Greek, but they were Jews. And so therefore there was a kind of probably a, a little bit of uh, division within the group and certain people were being taken care of and other people weren't in the church of God. Wow, what do you know? There's little divisions going on. And so... Uh, this problem arose. It was brought to the attention of the twelve apostles, who were the who, who were the um, the elders, the leaders in Jerusalem. And verse two of chapter the sixth chapter of Acts says, "So the twelve gathered all the disciples together." Remember, there were more than twelve disciples. There were 120 or or so uh, about the time of Pentecost. And so this is a little bit after that. It would not, and he, they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Notice who the disciples were, men and women. Notice who they're asking for. They're asking for seven men among them. And, and it wasn't that serving tables, as I read this and I read it, I'm like, what's up with you guys? You can't serve tables. You know, it's not that they're trying to be pious or, or above it. It wasn't beneath them. It was that it wasn't what would bring health to the church. They recognized their role that God had put them in. And they realized going outside of that, which we all struggle with, wasn't what would bring health to the church. wasn't what they were called to do. And I'm not saying we're all called to clean up our messes. We're all called to love one another. We're all called. So it's not like I'm called to be a pastor, therefore I won't help someone on the street. It's not that. 
there was a ministry, an ongoing ministry that was needed in the church. And for them to stop what they were doing, to start doing that, was to neglect what God had called them to do. Does that make sense? It's not that they wouldn't help with that if they couldn't. But they discerned that their primary ministry was the Word of God and prayer. That was their primary ministry as the overseers in the church, to shepherd the flock of God. If they, were, if they undertook this other ministry, they would be neglecting what God had called them to do in the body, to be in the Word and to teach the Word to people, to be discipling, right, and to giving these things, uh, to be uh, praying about the needs in the church and, and finding the answers in the Word and, and listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to move through them in their leadership to set up healthy situations and, and within the body so that Christ would be honored. The gospel would go forward. You know, and, and as you know, the elders and I, we, we, we always sit around and talk. I, I think we, we, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. I think this is, this is a dilemma within our, our church right now. What? We're not perfect? Oh my gosh. You mean we're, we're common people struggling with the same things that the church was struggling with back then? What do you know? You know, there are things that need to be done. And we gravitate towards these things. You know, the elders, and, and we gravitate towards these things. That, you know, and I would say that even some of them are great things, and, and we're probably even good at a lot of them, or, you know, at least I think I am or something, you know? But in doing so, we sometimes neglect or are pulled away from that would benefit, that which would benefit you most. The ministry of the Word of God and prayer. I tell you what, sometimes if we're, if we're operating in the flesh, if I'm operating in the flesh, boy, it's so much, you don't know how much stuff I get done on Saturdays when I study. I'm supposed to be in here, you know, praying, seeking God, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm restringing my guitar, I'm doing everything else. You know what I'm saying? The one thing that I'm supposed to be doing is the one thing that my heart, you know, jumps against. But when I, when I do it, I'm satisfied, and you're blessed. I love it. You know what I mean? I'm saying you're blessed. That's kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's like the God. It's cool we could edit that. It never happened. You will, you will be blessed. But, you know, I'm growing. And, and so to be focused on the ministry of the Word and prayer is, is a primary role of the elders. It's so that we shepherd the flock of God. And notice what happens in verse 4. The leaders ask the disciples, not just any, uh, any people, they ask the disciples, people who were following Jesus, to select from among them seven men. The disciples were men and women. They were asked to select seven men. And we'll talk about the gender thing next week, okay? Or not next week, but the week after. And they gave criteria for serving in this capacity, this, the, the criteria for being a deacon. That's an office in the church, one who executes. And he says, Choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Now turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Paul elaborates on this. Paul fills in some of the blanks. 
It says, in the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way as the elders. Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. And the question in that verse 11 is, are you talking about women deacons, or are you talking about the wives of the deacons? We'll talk about that next time, okay? In verse 12, it says, A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in the faith in Jesus Christ. So back to Acts 6. The apostles are faced with the challenge of the distribution of bread to the widows. Uh, not, you know, it's not going well for the Hellenistic Jews. And the overseers of that church tell the disciples to choose from among them seven men. And he gives them the criteria for this task of the distribution of bread. And verse size 5 says, This proposal given by the leadership in the church to the disciples pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And by the way, those people were, a lot of them were Greek. See the wisdom in that? They said, hey, well, if we're ministering to Greeks, we should probably have some Greek people doing this. Might help a little bit. <clears throat> it's amazing how the Lord works. And they presented these men to the apostles. Notice who had the final say in it. There was still that overseeing. They brought the idea back and said, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's go for it. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. All this for the distribution of bread. It seems so trivial, doesn't it? I mean, they could have gone, you know, the people have gone, so what? All this for the distribution of bread. But you see, it wasn't about the bread and the widows. It wasn't just about the bread and the widows, right? The big picture was that the gospel and prayer were being hindered. And the apostles needed men, not just any men. Listen up. The apostles needed men, not just any men. Men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to carry out the distribution of bread, this seemingly petty thing. Why? Why? Anyone can distribute bread. Anyone can run the bread, the, run the bread pantry, right? But when you are distributing bread on behalf of the King of Kings, you are entering war. And there is warfare involved. 
And if you read chapter 7, Stephen is martyred at the hands of religious leaders who opposed the gospel. But not before Stephen confounded them with the wisdom. They were blown away by the wisdom that was in this man that was given to him by the Holy Spirit. And he preached one of the most powerful sermons in Scripture. You know, not so insignificant now, that role of, of distributing, distributing bread, is it? You know, in light of eternity, all the millions of people have been saved by hearing that message. And I believe also, you know, the persecution of the church began, started right then, even though it kind of develops later on. But Jesus told the apostles, the 12 disciples, hey, I want you to go into all the world. And what were, where were they? Still. Jerusalem. And through this time, the, the, the persecution of the church began, and they finally started to spread, and therefore the gospel went out. All beginning, I believe, right here with Stephen, the deacon distributing bread, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who was martyred, first, you know, martyr of the church here. How did Stephen get there? What made his life matter? asking myself these questions as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm reading through this. What made his life significant? How did he get to that place? Was it the distribution of bread? Was it his job? Was it his ministry? Was that the first thing that made him significant? No. It was the Spirit of God possessing a man who was willing to serve in anything. A challenge to you men, and I would say the women as well in the church, but especially I want to speak to the hearts of the guys. Determine in your heart sometime soon if you will become a servant of the King of Kings. Determine. I am your servant. And once it's decided... Serve. Don't stop. Don't look back. You begin to serve in whatever capacity God has called you to be in. It begins by stepping out in faith in your private walk with the Lord, seeking Him for Him alone. Just seeking Him for Him. Not for position or recognition but offering yourself, not out of compulsion, but as a free will offering. I am yours, O God. Do with me as you will. I am yours, yours alone. That's it. Whatever you want, God. If it's to pick up cigarette butts, I'll do it. If it's to organize the affairs of the church, God, I will do it. If it's to go and be a Billy Graham, I will do it, Lord. If it's to, you know, be a mother of children, to invest in the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, I will do it. Amen? Once it's been resolved in your heart and that you're determined to not settle for salvation alone, you hear that? You're determined not to settle for salvation alone. How many of us are just stuck there? But you choose to follow Jesus, then follow. Follow. 
with all of your heart, with all of your soul, mind and strength. Let him possess you. And he will raise you up. And when he does, listen, and when he raises you up, and when he works on you and uses you, look what the result is. Verse 7, Acts chapter 6. The result of the seven deacons and the servants in Jerusalem. And so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Because the Lord was working in the deacons. Because he was doing that, the widows were taken care of, which is important. We're not saying that these things that need to be done aren't important. They are important. But because the deacons were deaking, the word of God now spread because the elders were elding. Make sense? The word of God was hindered from being spread because the overseers were doing the ministry of the deacons. Make no mistake, the enemy's purpose is to stop prayer in this church and to stop the ministry of God's word. And as long as the elders are deaking and the deacons aren't even deaking, he's winning. And I'm not saying that's totally. Right? But I'm just saying, I, I see that the enemy has distracted us for a while. It's not perfect. We're not, we'll never will arrive, right? I'm just saying, we need to be aware of these things. But the leaders in Jerusalem, they were aware of what God had called them to, and they adjusted. And when the elders stopped deaking and continued to eld, and the deacons started deaking, look what happened. The word of God spread. And what happens when the word of God spread? The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So what happens when the word of God spreads? Discipleship is happening. And a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Discipleship started happening. What's the great commandment? What did he tell them to do? Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Right? So discipleship. Go into all the world, baptizing them, making disciples. And then what is the second thing that happened? People who were religious became obedient to the faith. Wow. That says a lot there. You can be religious and do religious things, you know, a priest, and not be obedient to the faith. You can go to church every single week and not be obedient to the faith. We can call ourselves Christians, right? There's a difference. And so what we have here is when they started doing, everybody was doing what they're supposed to be doing, discipleship started happening, and people who were religious became obedient to the faith. Because he said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. This, the, the, the leaders were actually discipling and teaching what was what the great command was, was supposed to be. And the things that would hinder them from doing that were being taken care of, which were important things in the church. The sound needs to be run. The children need to be taken care of and taught. The building needs to happen. Maintenance needs to happen. You know, I mean, this is life. 
can't just sit around in a prayer meeting all day. Right? Well, who's going to do it? So I ask each of you here to ask yourselves this morning, what is hin- what's hindering us in our church from having that help? These are hard questions. It's embarrassing, you know, because I'm a leader. Amen? But I want to see God rule and reign. I want to see people saved and discipled in Christ. Don't we all? I mean, that's what we want. And don't we feel like we're spinning our wheels to the wrong things half the time? You know, some of those things need to happen, obviously. Car needs fixed and we fix it. But what has God called you to, you know? I ask, so just ask these questions. These are some of the questions I'm asking myself. Who am I living for? Ask that question to yourself right now. Who am I living for? What am I living for? Who am I living for? Honestly, ask ourselves these questions. We're in a society where we just want information and we hardly ever think. You know what I mean? But think, ask yourself, who am I living for? If you're living for Jesus, you're part of the solution. If you're living for this age and for yourself, you're part of the problem and you need to repent. Matt, who are you living for determines what you will and will not do. It's how you see life. I will not do that because that is not a priority in my life. I will not do the distribution of bread because that doesn't fit in with who I am. But if I'm following Jesus, and I see that the gospel is being hindered, and that is my mind set all the time, and no matter what job I'm in, no matter what role I am in life, and I see the gospel being hindered, I see, see hindrances to discipleship, and I see hindrances to, to the word being spread, I'm going to go, what can I do to free up the people who can actually go out there and preach that thing or do that thing? How can I be a part of this? What can I do to serve? so that that is alleviated, and so that Christ is represented in me. That's The distribution of bread was God's love being poured out to these widows. Very important. Commanded in Scripture. Take care of the widows and the orphans. Amen? So, if I live for the King, then His priorities are mine. And his priority is the advancement of the gospel. That you partner with him in it for your entire life. You were saved to serve. You were saved for the gospel. You were saved by it and for it. Jesus Christ. His heart beats for people. What is your role in that? His priority is that the word goes forward. That the message of the kingdom goes forward. Denise, did her. Denise sometimes uh, passes out, I think. She has to do her thing. But 
ask yourself, how can I help in that? And the hard question, what kind of character? This is the real important part. She's okay. The hard questions. What kind of character does the Lord need to continue to develop? How do you find this out? As iron sharpened by iron. <laughs> right here. Hanging out with brothers and sisters. They're going to let you know what for. And you're going to let them know what for, and it's in love, right? You're going to be in the Word. You're going to be looking at the Word, and it's going to wash your soul. You're going to look at it, and it's going to be a reflection in your heart going, wow, that needs to change in my life. God, help me. Brother, sister, will you point this out in my life? Will you help me move towards it? And we be bold in each other's lives and change because God wants to use you to a greater degree than you've ever been used before for His kingdom. Amen? So I'm thoroughly excited because this is the crux of it all. This is the, this is the most important part of it all. What you are put on this earth here to do, and we're finishing right now, to advance this kingdom, that's what you're put here for. And as we actually reach Philippians chapter 1 in two weeks, we read why Paul was so attached to this church. Why was Paul so attached to Philippians chapter 1? Why was he, why was he attached to these people? It's because they partnered with him in the advancement of the gospel from the first day until now, Paul said. They, they ministered to him prayerfully. They gave him finances. They took care of his needs while he was in jail. There was a connection because the, it wasn't just to do something for something's sake. They saw the gospel going forward, and that has to captivate our hearts, church. That has to be everything. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And if it's not, we've got to change what we're doing. If you are lukewarm, Jesus will spit you out of his mouth. Be all in for Jesus. Get excited about him. Get into it. Cut off the flesh. Embrace the spirit. Jump into fellowship. Jump in the word. Let God begin to speak to your heart about the things He wants to change, the things He wants to do. How many of you are stagnant in your walk? How many of you have a sin that you just can't get over? God wants to have victory. You'd have victory in this. He will give it to you. And it happens here. And it happens with us. It doesn't happen by yourself. This is where we find help. This is where we gather together and see God's vision for our church and go do it. Amen? I want to be a part of this with you guys. I want to be doing what I'm supposed to do. And I don't want to be running around like a turkey with my head cut off on Sunday mornings. I want to be locked and focused on ministering to you. Throughout the week, I'm going to be meeting with you, talking with you, praying with you, giving you the word, having Bible studies, prayer meetings. Amen? I don't want to be fixing things. I want to fix things, but I shouldn't be fixing things, right? You need to be focused. Pray for your elders. Pray for how you can come help us. Sometimes we're just blind to the fact of the things that we needed. Sometimes we're just so normally have done what we've always done that we just keep doing it. Pray that God would open our eyes. Amen? There are opportunities for you to find out who God's called you to be. And don't think 
that because you're distributing bread that God won't use you mightily. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would pour out upon your church your Holy Spirit so that we would have wisdom and power, wisdom to know what would please your heart, wisdom to be focused like a laser beam on the calling you've called us to. I pray that it would begin in our in our quiet heart, in our heart of hearts, Lord, whether that's uh, doing a, a regimented Bible study in the morning or, or just a free-flowing prayer session all day long, whatever it is, that you would be with us and we as people would relate to you um, in, as you speak to our hearts and that as that relationship just is, is blessed and develops, Lord, we, our hearts would become just moldable in your hands. We would see this church and, and the opportunities that there are through your eyes. We lift up the eldership, Father. We pray for us, Lord. We ask that you would focus us like a laser beam on your word and on prayer and on shepherding this flock. And we ask that you would raise up deacons, Father. You'd raise up these servants, Lord, to take care of these important things in the church, Lord. And we ask for your wisdom and your blessing in this as we move forward. In the name of Jesus, amen.